You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Leon. Let's go! to episode number 57 of Ace Comicals, where I am joined only by Leon tonight. Hello. Yes. So, uh, it's going to be a short one, I think, because um, February was a bit of a dry month for me, comics-wise, anyway, because I've um, looked back through my pull list from the previous couple of weeks, and um, yeah. (laughs) Well, has it been slim pickings? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I don't... The problem I have is, like peeking behind the curtain i buy a lot of comics and i follow a lot of different series and i talk about them here and i don't want to keep talking about the same comics all the time so in an effort to not keeping to not keep talking about the same comics like i'm i mean there's obviously new stuff that i'm always interested in but i always like to try and keep this fresh and keep it fresh what i'm keep what i'm talking about fresh so I don't like to go back too often to the same series. I don't like to keep going, you know, and review every single issue of Batman, for example, or something like that, because that's not that's not what we're trying to do. Yeah, plus it, it's hard because then you enter a period where it ends up uh, with spoiler territory, where you're on like issue eight or something, and it's eight. the end of an arc, and you just you can't even talk about anything specifically. Um, without having to spoil it and um, it it is one of the challenges that is posed with us trying to get the perfect balance between uh, say keeping up to date with um, what's out what's new what's interesting but also being able to um, stick the landing and report back on um, comics that her or runs volumes whatever that have um, have um, like uh, ended or finished so it makes it really hard um and sometimes for me i find that by the time i've got around to finishing it's hard to bring it back up so i've been trying to to make an effort of um on the next podcast i'm on talking about the thing that i finished that i may have first spoken about a year ago (laughs) but um i think it it is important to talk about like completed runs but yeah, yeah. It, it is a challenge that i have as well because there's a few things where i've been reading like issue five and six and it's like there's not really much i can speak about until it until either this yeah. uh run ends or um like the whole thing finishes exactly because you can't just you you would be spoiling it as you as you quite rightfully mentioned and it's the kind of thing where you would need other people to have read it to be able to discuss it. So I can't just dive in and start talking about episode, uh, episode issue 98 of something and expect you to get it and be able to have a conversation with me about it on this show. Cause <laughs> that's not going to happen if I've read 98 issues and you've only read five, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's just how this is. But yeah, so uh, it's, um, it's going to be quite a quite a um, a short show for you guys, but that's short on uh, content, not quality. So it's going Is to be that? yeah, it's going to be a a, a short show time wise, but the, hopefully the quality is still the same, and hopefully you'll enjoy it all the same. So I'm going to open up by um, 
get the usual preamble out of the way, and I'm going to say that I've been playing Tetris 99, <laughs> uh, which is Battle Royale Tetris, for those of you who haven't yet found videos of people, uh, Gen Z and Gen, um, <laughs> millennial streamers getting beaten by boomers and Gen Xers. <laughs> the real question here, Craig, is can you make the T-block uh, do a cool dance? Oh, can I can I do um, what is it called? T T spins. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I guess that is the uh, yeah. the cool dance of this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and not ripped off from anybody uh, in this case, so that's yeah. that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can I can well you can't you can't do cool dances. There's no you know you don't get to choose where you drop. You get to choose where you drop the block, but you don't you don't get to choose where you drop. Um. And so how does this work? It's uh, so basically for, the game our, for just, our audience. Yeah, the game just throws you straight into it, and you get your normal Tetris screen. And if you've ever played puzzle games in a battle format, so uh, Poyo Poyo, that type of thing, where when you get a combo or a row, you send blocks over to your opponent's screen, and it forces them to make mistakes and messes up their game because it fills their screen up quicker. Um, it's same way that like uh which is basically Poyo Poyo, um Doctor Robotics Mean B Machine, things like that. It's the it's the same and, and uh Gem Fighters, it's that, that kind of thing. But imagine that, but ninety nine people at once. So you are playing Tetris and you are playing Battle Tetris, but you are playing Battle Tetris against ninety nine other people and you get to decide who out of those ninety nine other people you are attacking who you want to send blocks to. Uh, you can do that a number of ways because it's got preset. Um, you can preset it to auto-attack people with the most KOs or auto-attack people with um, that are who close are to dying you. or auto-attack people that are attacking you, yeah. Uh, or you can... There is a way for you to actually just select specific people. But what, what, it, what it looks like when it's in front of you because it just, it just drops you straight in and... You have your Tetris screen in the middle, your Tetris, uh, like, um, what do they even call it, where you put the blocks? <laughs> the, it, the matrix? I guess, the grid? yeah, your, like your grid or whatever in front of you. And then you can see in, like, small around you, there are uh, 98 other grids on the screen, like, either side of yours. And they're, like, tiny. So you can kind of almost see what your opponent's doing. You get kind of, like, a little you get an idea of what, what your opponents are doing by looking at their screen. You can basically all you can get from it from a quick glance, from looking away from what's going on on yours is how full their screen is and whether they're pretty much. Yeah. There is no time. There is no time to be analyzing. Yeah. It's, you've got to be a Jedi, I suppose, but it's, um, (laughs) (laughs) you, you would, you'd have to be a Jedi. You'd have to, but it's, it's good because, um, it's fun it's fast there's no like huge waiting times for anything um and it's just it it's if you like puzzle games and you like tetris it's cool and i find that as far as online gaming goes i don't get as um like annoyed with it as i do with you know like when you lose an online game yeah you You think that's yeah, I was going to say, do you think that's because when the game ends, you can just jump straight into a new one? 
I think it's because it feels less personal because it just you are just playing Tetris and you don't uh, although you are playing Tetris against other people and people are targeting you and everything else you don't really feel like that well I guess it's because they're not assigned names you're not yeah. even told who you're killed by or anything like that yeah, yeah. or who you kill it you only the only time you ever see names is when you inevitably die or if you're lucky enough when you see some of the names um, around you of the usernames exactly. and they're all generic because it's it's the switch yeah um but uh <laughs> it it is uh i don't know sometimes it does feel personal when i'm getting uh, when i see four people attacking me and i'm like well, i haven't done anything the game's just started <laughs> yeah, How do exactly. you know? <laughs> yeah uh the, the i mean like there must an element of collusion or something but how can they <laughs> it's entirely random i know but that, how have I you think... been doing I usually place, uh, I can I can get into the top 50, I can place in the top 20, 30s, usually around there. I haven't broken into the teens yet. Um, my girlfriend does better than I do, she's very good at Tetris, so <laughs> she manages to place higher, uh, higher than me. She, she places into the teens and things like that, so she's, she's way better than I am at it. Um, and How does I, she... I was going to say, how does she handle the... Because uh, the the elements, the normal Tetris elements are, are there in terms of whether yeah. you go high skill or low skill, uh, how you manipulate, how you drop the blocks and stuff like that, how you defend against people attacking you. If it's you're like playing B mode where you've got like, um, like garbage blocks. But like the newer element on this to a degree is choosing how you yeah. attack other people. How does she handle that? Is, see- is that... Like, just something that she just dived into. Yeah, I mean the way the way we play it, Sophie will just sit on random. So like, she'll sit with it set to random because she doesn't draw aggro as much, and it doesn't like it, you can kind of hang under the radar a little bit with that. Mm. If you sit on if you sit on random. It, you, you are less likely to get targeted at the beginning. Whereas if you start putting yourself on attackers or things like that, then it gets dangerous. It gets dangerous. Yeah. Because when someone attacks you, you attack them straight back. Yeah. And it and becomes, if, yeah. That's the thing. If you set it onto, uh, what's it called? Attackers, which is the one where, yeah. yeah uh, if someone attacks you, that, that will get you. If you do yeah. that right at the beginning, you'll probably won't make it to 90. <laughs> like that, that yeah. one is so savage. From watching her play, I could probably take a few points from it because she just she literally just hangs under the radar and that's how she manages to last so long. Which is, yeah, see, It's really cool watching it because I can never do that. <laughs> it's just great. See, but... that's thing. it's interesting because like when I first placed um, 13, which was uh, for a while my, my highest one, I left it on random the whole time. Yeah. And then subsequently after that, I just kept getting crapped on, uh, leaving it on random. It was just luck of the draw. So when I started getting into using the KO technique and getting badges from killing people, um, that's when I got my um, highest so far, which has been ninth. But I've not, oh, wow. I've not even been able to get, uh, <laughs> I've not even been able to get to 13 again for a long time. But yeah, after ninth, I usually like crap out in the the thirties or the twenties these days. Uh, maybe, occasionally, maybe. I'll get back into the teens, but yeah. <laughs> I just have some bad runs. <laughs> maybe it just match makes. Maybe it match makes you on skill. So 
it probably <laughs> takes into account past performance and puts you with other people that score a lot of KOs. I don't know. Really I think sure I think works. I think part of it is the luck of the draw because sometimes uh, I'll leave it on random and maybe that what, that one of the random people that um, it, the game's decided to point it at is someone who's a beast and then I get yeah. crapped on. Whereas other games I'll have it on random um, and that person might be a noob like me. But then it, oh, it feels so good when you, you're lining up for like some combos. So you go, like, oh, I've got a Tetris and enough of that and get a double. You turn it to KOs and you go, poof, poof, and then you just see those badges fly over. And like, yeah. You see, I, I struggle to break 20 and you can you can call yourself a noob when you're hitting numbers like 13 and 9. I don't get <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think it's, it's weird though because I've never been great at Tetris. Like... The only Tetris that I put any time into was the Game Boy one when I was a kid. Since then, uh, I've not really been in the in the Tetris world. I, I, I used to hear a lot about the tech, like T-spins and all that, and think like, what? You can do that now? But I've not really delved into it since yeah. then. So I don't know if it's something of where it's like just different puzzle games I've played over the years are translating, or if it's because... I do some of my best uh, multiplayer work in the clutch, uh, like when you need it, or like where like if I don't do this thing right now, it's over. But yeah, there's definitely a gulf between people who can consistently get those places and uh, and me. And there's definitely a, a tinge of uh, of luck there because <laughs> I think if you could do head to head games with people, uh, you guys were, were completely shut on me. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. It's great, and it's a great little multiplayer game, and it's fun. And I mean, I I do enjoy puzzle games. I've got another Tetris game on the Switch as well. I've got this Tetris Poyo Fusion game that was on sale over Christmas, so I went ahead and bought that. And mm. I've been using that as practice mode. But the thing with that is, you don't get the urgency that you get when there's ninety eight <laughs> other people on your ass. Stress. So yeah, exactly. So yeah, but it's fun. It's fun anyway. So, yeah, that's uh, Tetris 99. That's pretty much what I've been doing over the past two weeks, apart from reading comics and doing other comics-adjacent stuff. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to dive into the first comics news item uh, that we're going to bring up today, because we don't, um, in lieu of things to review, I've decided to talk about things that I'm excited about instead. Um, That's good. Yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you that uh, Stan Sakai has moved Asagi Yojimbo to IDW from Dark Horse. So, everyone's favourite Rabbit Samurai and um, Rabbit Wanderer is now getting published by IDW instead of Dark Horse. And that starts this summer, I believe. So what are the implications of this? Well, I mean, they relaunched... So last year, they finished the numbering, uh, the, the original numbering with the Saggy on Dark Horse. Um, and then they began numbering from one again. And they did a short... They went so far with that, but then he's moved it over onto IDW. And I think it's going to be coloured now instead of just remaining black and white. Oh, cool. Um, And... So he's now able to present them in, you know, in a vibrantly coloured way, which is kind of cool. I'm kind of up for that. 
and it's also because it's going to be on the same label as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and things like that it's it's just it, I think it's going to make it it's 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 probably going to make collaborations a lot more frequent and I I I I love the the whole kind of like running the running collab and the sort of like running parallel of Turtles and Asagi I mean I got into yeah. Asagi through Turtles and I love it when the two cross paths because they're so well suited to each other as things that should exist in the same universe. And I quite like the idea of that happening more often now. I mean, it, yeah, happened, yeah. Lot, it happened a lot anyway, but I feel like now that they're both together on the same, on in the same place, both properties, it might happen more often. It might be something we see more of, and it's something I'm quite excited about. And I'm excited to be able to pick up Colour Usagi comics uh, from IDW. And I think that begins this summer, so I'm quite quite pumped for that um yeah that that is pretty cool because um i'd wondered about that in the past because uh, i know that you're a big fan of these and um i i like read a couple in my past uh many moons ago um and i wondered how all these collaborations were happening because i always thought of them as being in the same universe so yeah. it's it's cool now that um now they're under the same uh, same roof. Uh, what what the what the options will be? Yeah, I think I think previously as well. I think way back once upon a time they were previously under the same roof as well. So yeah, there was a, a point when um, Usagi was published by Mirage Comics and ah uh, yes, and Turtles was on Mirage as well. Yeah. So there was a point in history where they've been on the same label before, so it has happened. Um, but now they're back together again in the same place, so it just feels natural to have them in the same place. I'm quite excited about Asagi joining the uh, the IDW verse, I guess, because I mean we we you know we'll probably see him popping up a lot more often with, or we'll probably see the turtles popping up a lot more often in Asagi books and so forth. And it's just such a wonderful comic. I'm just glad that it's continuing to get published. Um, and I'm glad that we, you know, it'd be nice to start. It will be nice to start seeing it in color. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy really about the fact that it's going to be, it's going to be on the same place as turtles again, really. So that's it. But yeah, uh, it's a bit. It's a big thing for me, anyway, and that's going to happen in the. So in the summer, they're, they're going to publish the first one, um, and uh, it's going to be like a, a number one on IDW in color. And there's going to be some cool variants. Um, I various places on the internet telling telling us there's going to be some cool variants because uh, it's uh, like going to have a selection of covers. Uh, we're going to get there's going to be one by uh, Daniel Warren Johnson, who's your guy from Murder Falcon and Extremity which we've talked about on the show. Obviously, Kevin Eastman's going to get a crack. Uh, so, yeah. I'm down. It's a very uh, Greg-centric good news. <laughs> it is, yes, 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 indeed. Yeah, uh, I'll be, I'm going to probably read some Murasagi before then, uh, or go back and read some of the various tomes I've got on my shelf, because I've got some of the collected editions, and probably talk about them a little bit on here. Moving on from there, I should probably end the Usagi uh, amble actually by saying that, um, I mean, last year it was announced that they were going to make an Usagi cartoon 
which I'm excited about as well. That was like way back. That was like this time last year they announced that. So, has there been that, any more news on that? Not yet, no, not that I found. But when that comes to fruition, I'm, I'm sure I'll be talking about that on here as well. Um, and speaking of things that get adapted, uh, I can move on to my second thing, which is the comic I was going to talk about today, which is Sharky the Bounty Hunter number one, which is part of the Miller World thing, which is Mark Miller. I should probably start by explaining Miller World. Mark, uh, Miller World is Mark Miller's creator owned. Um, comics uh, line thing that he does, which is basically all his all his stuff, all his ideas. And Miller World is now has been bought by Netflix in the same way that DC is owned by Warner Brothers. Miller World is owned by Netflix, and all of um, all of the things that he. Uh, he, he all of the things that come out come out now as comics from Miller World will also be adapted by Netflix into movies and shows and so forth. Um, and this is like the latest one in a line, basically. Uh, this is Sharky the Bounty Hunter, and uh, Netflix plan to adapt this into a movie. Uh, so this is going to get a feature length movie, and apparently we're getting that in twenty twenty. And this movie is going to be written by Michael Bacall. Uh, so you may know him as the guy from Scott Pilgrim vs. The World and 21 Jump Street. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, so to kick off, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read you the the blurb. So the official kind of previews world blurb for this book goes... Um, Set in a brilliant new sci-fi universe, Sharky is a blue-collar bounty hunter who tracks criminals across the galaxy in his converted rocket-powered ice cream truck. Aided and abetted by his 10-year-old partner, he's out for the biggest bounty of his career. So, we've got this sci-fi fantasy world, and we've got this uh, purple-skinned bounty hunter who looks like a... Who, it looks like a cross between Thanos and Lemmy. Is the, is the easiest way to put it, yeah. <laughs> um, and, if, I mean, if you look up a picture of him, Leon, you'll see where I'm coming from, but he's basically Thanos meets Lemmy. Um, and uh, he is... Um, he's basically... He, he's been offered this one big score, but obviously this one big score is being offered to a lot of other bounty hunters, and I think he's going to have to fight his way into it and out of it again and that's going to be the whole thing it's going to be him versus a bunch of other shady guys um and it's it's just fun from the get-go i mean the easiest way for me to describe this uh, uh, um as a comic to describe what you're jumping into when you open this book and start flicking through the pages is it's like uh this sci-fi fantasy so science fantasy with grit and it's got this air of valerian about it and a little bit of fifth element and it's just great fun, especially like in the way that some of the characters dress, like the the fashion and everything else. It's very Valerian, very um, fifth element in that way, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, so you've got this tough bounty hunter. And I think the fact that he looks a bit like Lemmy is no accident. And the whole thing's pretty rock and roll. Um, yeah, it's just um, it's a beautiful book from the get go as well. Uh, we've got um, Simone Bianchi doing the 
colours and art himself together, which gives it like this beautiful synergy as well because it's one guy doing both. And although, I mean, you get some awesome partnerships with colouring and, and pencils or colouring and lines uh, in other books, with this, it's like it, it's something else because it's it's different when you've got one person doing it. The same way it's different when you've got like a comic that's written and drawn by the same person. It just has has a synergy that you can't kind of get I, I, don't, I think it's hard, hard to get that elsewhere. Um, yeah, because I think it's the difference between what you usually get and what one of the great uh, strengths of comic books are is um, collaboration, creating art. Um, yeah. So what you get is something different but equally amazing when you do have, uh, say, one person doing multiple roles. Uh, there's uh, sort of a unified... Uh, vision in a way um but yeah i think it's it's a, it's a very much case of uh, a different um a, a, a different thing that's achieved a different style that you get and like there's pluses and minuses on both but yeah definitely exactly yeah and um it, it's beautiful art anyway because it's Simone bianchi and he's the guy who he worked with Jason Aaron on personal favourite of mine, Thanos Rising, which explores the origins of Thanos. So that mini series, which I've got collecting a hardback, that is really cool. Um, and it's just like these great pencils that uh, and, and like watercolors, and everything is just like really beautifully detailed and drawn, and everything kind of comes to life. Every everything is wonderfully finished and super three-dimensional in a way kind of like hyper hyper comic art coming off the page because it's just so well rendered um that you can you can almost imagine it like you can imagine it as reality but it at the same time you, you know that it's not photographs if you understand what i'm saying it's yeah weird, yeah it's okay, a weird yeah. thing to try and describe but it's it's so so nice and some of the use of perspective and everything else is just so like beautifully done and like these... a, like a hyper realism um style that instead of giving you the uncanny valley instead it um affords them a way to present uh inner thoughts and emotion in um a way more perceivable way yes I guess that's the best way to put it, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's a way to put it, probably not the best. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're better with words than I am, but yeah, you, you, I think you've pretty much nailed it there. So yeah, it's got this um, this really cool look going on, and uh, we've got like these muted colours in the background, which are in direct contrast to the way that the different alien races are represented and coloured and everything else, which really makes them pop off the page, which also gives these different alien species and races this like unique personality as well because everyone's different colors and everyone's got like a different thing going on like different shapes different fashions things like that and i think that's pretty fantastic in itself in the fact that everything everything and everyone in this is so unique like on every page yeah it's a lot it's a lot of uh, a lot of work to, to achieve something like that exactly yeah yeah, it's, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous comic. And I'm quite looking forward to seeing this adapted as a film, actually, because I think it might make a cool movie. 
um, looking at what I'm getting here from uh, number one. There's some really cool moments in here where the action is very nicely illustrated. And there's a double page spread in particular. Um, pages five and six of the comic, I think. And uh, it's this whole point where Sharky is in a bar. And he's um, he's this is like his introduction the introduction to who we're dealing with basically in the story and he meets a a, a mark that he he's about to take down and collect a bounty on and um all of a sudden everything goes pear-shaped and this guy can split himself into multiple smaller guys and uh, there's this beautiful use of perspective where sharky's firing a bullet from his gun but it's going through and there's a bunch of little guys diving off in all different directions and this double page spread is just the absolute chaos that ensues after that, where all these like little miniature versions of this one guy try and escape. And uh, Sharky obviously catches him in the end um, and takes him in. And then uh, this is how we meet the, uh, the, the, his, his 10 year old friend who, who is described in the blurb. This is how we meet this kid because this kid uh, was apparently being looked after by the guy that Sharky took in so now it is Sharky's responsibility to make sure this kid gets back, gets to another family member somewhere on another planet in another galaxy. And that's why this kid has to end up tagging along. And that's, that's where it all goes. That's it all spirals off from there. I think that's, that's pretty much it. And it's deliciously science fantasy and it's as alien as it gets basically in that moment where this guy splits into multiple little guys. And it's just, it's just great, and there's these great action shots, kind of like these freeze frames. And yeah, I mean, I already love this world. I already love some of the designs for the alien races, and I just love how madcap it all is. Um, and it's got that kind of like um, that Mark Miller sense of humor, I guess. So it, that that sense of humor and grit that you would get with, you know, that you get it with like Kickass and Wanted and Kingsman. Yeah, it's dry and very dark. Yeah, yeah, it's got it's got twisted. It's got got a little bit of that going on, I guess. In place, yeah, it's kind of got that air about it. I'm getting that already from it. Um, and yeah, it's it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's got the it's got the grit and the violence, but it's got everything else as well. So yeah, it's it's got all of that. It's great. Um, and yeah, it's just it's a good read, and I cannot wait to see where this goes. Um. Yeah, Thanos Kilminster or whatever, if you want to call him that, which I do now. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's pretty cool. Uh, there's this there's this one bit that stuck out for me actually. This conversation he has with the guy at the bar about being bold, um, because Sharky has this kind of like horseshoe do because he's completely bold on top and he's got like huge sideburns and a mustache. And this other guy is totally bold and. He's saying, no, I've been, you know, talking about how he was losing his hair since he was 22, decided it was time to shave it all off. And uh, Sharky's reply is, see, I never got that. I, I never got the logic of that. That's like getting a paper cut and chopping off your entire arm. What kind of man throws a tantrum with his own head? <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds like it, it effectively, like, demonstrates it's just sort of grumpy, like, uh, outlook and sort of common sense seeking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, it's just that's what it is. Yeah, 
But I, I just, I thought that was a, I, I just like, I just love this whole sequence where they're at the bar and the way it builds tension into this, like, this pop where it just, it's gloriously sci-fi. But yeah, that whole sequence in the bar where the tension builds is great. For an opening sequence of a comic, it's fantastic. And I think the way, I actually think the way this is written and put together has been done with the fact that it is to be adapted into a movie in mind. Because this, as an opening scene or a character introduction in a movie, would work really well as well, I think. Do you think that's just how Mark Miller writes now, considering his previous success with adaptations? You think you think he just writes things <laughs> expecting people to turn them into films? I don't know, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I don't know. But uh, it, it, he, he's certainly doing it here from what I can tell. Yeah. I, I feel I feel like that's what he's doing. I really do. Um and it would it yeah, the way the way it's written, the way it flows, even like down to the way this comic's done with the panel layouts and um everything else, I just feel like this this has been done uh, you know, this is kinda of, yes, it's a comic, but it's also like this is going to be what they're going to have these like separated pages as like a storyboard, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah, it's possible. Cause I remember hearing that's what Robert Rodriguez did um, with a lot of Sin City, the yeah. first one at least. Yeah. So, I mean, I can, I can see this being really nice to adapt and it's going to, it's going to be a cool sci-fi flick when they do adapt it anyway. If that's your thing. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, I can't remember. Did people not enjoy Valerian at the cinema? Because I liked it. Well, Valerian is a weird one where it was um, uh, high budget, but like independent. But it was like, it was just one of those movies that you just knew just the way it was being marketed and the far out there concept. It's not something that was going to make its money back. I think maybe it's before its time or maybe missed a window when it when the best time for it to come out would have been but mm. yeah it felt like one of those things where it's like it'll be a mega surprise to me if this makes its money back because the budget was quite high like north yeah. of 100 million but it just seems it, it just felt like it didn't connect the buzz and maybe it's because the marketing wasn't wasn't done that well or whatever because like i i quite enjoyed that movie i've got some issues of it particularly uh, i think that dane dehan is miscast um but uh, and I like Dane DeHaan, but he, it, the role feels like it's meant to be some uh, Han Solo type character, and everyone's going on how badass he is and stuff like that. And I was like, nah, I'm not seeing it. Yeah. Um, but like, and I think that it's a mistake if you've got some Rihanna, use a lot of Rihanna. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't use a little bit of Rihanna. Use a lot of Rihanna. But um, yeah, I I enjoyed it. Uh, despite uh, some of my misgivings, it had a lot of ideas and at the very least um it it visually was something completely yeah. different it, it 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 definitely had had that that wild energy of um uh, the fifth element um but like done now so i would have i would have i would have liked uh I, I guess it comes always comes back to like the screenplay as well i think if that was tighter um there's a chance that it could have hit but part of me feels like in five years or something or maybe 10 years people will be revisiting it and it'll become like a cult hit I, I feel like this is going to be a dirtier version of fifth element or um valerian as mm. in like a, a more a less a less um 
a less bright version, a more a, 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 a like a, a you know like a more kind of like a gritty, dusty <laughs> version. Bit, bit, rusty, bit, bit, yeah, a bit more rusty, a bit more rock and roll than those. But yeah, it's definitely got that going on. And this this Sharky guy, it, I, I like him. So yeah, let's go with it. Thanos Kilminster, let's call him that from now on. Shall we? He's <laughs> I, he's purple and he looks like Lemmy. He's <laughs> what else am I going to call him? You know. But yeah, you'll see, if you if you. I mean, I don't know if you've seen a picture of him, but if no. you have, you'll see it. Just wait until Josh Brolin's cast in the live action, and then that will fully <laughs> confirm it. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. No. Uh, so that is um, Sharky the Bounty Hunter number one, and that is available in shops now. And the full list of credits for that one is uh, Mark Miller is the writer, and uh, Simone Bianchi is the artist and colorist, and we've got Peter Doherty on letters here. Um. So yeah, go ahead and check that out, and um, if you like it, maybe. In a year's time, check out the Netflix flick when that drops. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. Yeah, it's good. Um, moving on from there, uh, I guess this is another thing that Netflix have done, which was a comic. And uh, we're talking about Umbrella Academy, of course, which uh, I'm just going to give you the TLDR for Umbrella Academy. So my, my takeaway from Umbrella Academy, I mean... Leon's read the comics. I've watched the show. And my takeaway. And we from... haven't done the opposite. <laughs> yeah, my takeaway from it upon reading the comics is that it is what happens when you put Majora's Mask, X Men, and Watchmen into a blender. Yeah, I, I can see some of that. I think part of that will be probably be coming from the second volume, which I haven't read, but I know it's adapted as part of that uh, first season on Netflix. But yeah, yeah I, can, yeah. I can see, I can see that. Uh, I can see those ingredients. Yeah. Knowing, knowing what I know about the comics tangentially, um, it leans heavily on the second volume, but uh, for the Netflix show, but yeah, it, it, it's good. So why don't you, why don't you give us a rundown of your impression of the comics? Well, yeah. Um, so this is a comic that I remember sometime after it came out. Um, so this decade, someone mentioned to me that uh, Gerard Way, the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, um, not only was a, a respected comics writer, but he had won an Eisner. And I was like, what? How, the, how did I not hear about this? How did was this slip onto my radar? Was it me that told you this? No, no. It, no. <laughs> it, it, it was one of the rare occasions not. But uh, I remember hearing this and, and being like, this like boggle, uh, like mind boggled. Like, what? I just this is a weird combination of things. Being very drunk somewhere, at a rock night somewhere, and then like MCR comes on, like, and someone just kind of like sitting next to you, just it's kind of like drunkenly slurs into your ear. Uh, you know that dude that he makes comics kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) if only Um, yeah I remember hearing about it um, and hearing that it was good Um, and you know I I really like uh, Free Chess for Sweet Revenge but uh, that that is really I wouldn't say fun but it's, (laughs) it's I don't know it's a really easy to listen to sort of 
emo-ish of that era, uh, like, uh, album to listen to. Uh, I listened to it again and again, and, um, yeah, it, it, I thought, like, okay, let me see what he's, because um, I haven't really, I didn't really check out anything musically he'd done mostly since then, uh, especially not his solo stuff, so I was like, okay, I, I wonder what his uh, take is, but then it just sat on my, uh, like, in my mind palace forever and I was like oh, I'll get around to that 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 as I'm consuming more and more uh, comics um, and then obviously I start um, I like keep up to date on what Netflix are up to um, and I, I usually add them to my list um, before they come out so that they're just there when when they're released and this one came up and I was like what? this is based on a comic isn't it? Where did I know that title from? And then Googled it. I was like, oh, yeah, that one. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, and obviously the, the show is now out. Uh, I just, as with most of these Netflix things, I just haven't had the time to watch it. But what I thought I would do is, because I know that, well, the 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 run that won the Eisner is uh, the Apocalypse Suite, and that's um, six issues, and it's the start of this whole story. And I thought six issues, that's not too bad. That's a nice um, nice length of an arc. So I thought, oh, what I'll do, I'll, I'll read this and then I'll watch a couple of episodes of the Netflix one to get into it. But uh, lo and behold, I didn't have time to do that. But uh, after reading this, um, I'm probably going to check it out because, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite enjoyable. It's a, it's a, I can see how it became popular and how it got a lot of love because especially in the context of the time, because this would have been 2007, this is a time where this is, uh, I'm sure this is this is completely before the MCU. Um, this is even before like the dark Knight. Uh, this is before Watchmen. So just in, in terms of global comic zeitgeist, which sadly always come via the movies, uh, it's coming out at quite a different time for comic books, when, uh, at least on that stage. When did the Black Parade drop? Uh, I feel like that was around probably, then. Possibly a couple of years before, maybe. I don't know. Something's telling me a particular year, but I'm, I'm unsure. I'm sure it was earlier. I feel like that was 06, 07. October 23rd, 2006. Okay. So, uh, it comes at about the same time as the black parade and like looking at the music video for the for the the track the black parade and like some of the it does look like the book yeah (laughs) yeah it has that aesthetic doesn't it it really does yeah so um so yeah like so the the basic story um is that some event happens where i think it's 46 or 47 um Babies are just born from women who weren't pregnant globally. Some some supernatural uh, phenomena causes this. And this um, super genius inventor, uh, like entrepreneur, scientist guy, uh, Dr. Professor Hargreaves, he decides to... Uh, who, Sir, so, sorry, sorry, Sir Reginald Hargreaves... Uh, decides to try and find these kids and um, adopt them. Uh, in the end, he's only able to get seven, as many of these kids either got lost or didn't survive. And then he basically uh, takes them back uh, and in a sort of Professor X way, 
has this academy where he's sort of trying to get their potential and, and see what special abilities they have. And some of them do have special abilities. So um, what the comic covers pretty well is what those dynamics would do and what happens when you have sort of a makeshift family in that sense. Um, And it, yeah, generally covers a lot of those themes and we get brief times with the, with the kids um, as they're younger and they're, they're assigned numbers instead of names. Um, And then we, most of what happens in, in uh, this run happens as the adults, uh, as they get together over the, the death of a, of a character. And yeah, what it, in terms of like different concepts and ideas, uh, it is, it's not kitchen sink level, but there's a lot of stuff in here. It's like robots, aliens, supernatural stuff, like cults, uh, secret societies, uh, robots, AI, uh, like <laughs> there's all different types of things, but I think they do work well um, in terms of pushing the story and the themes that uh, Way and the artist uh, Gabriel Ba uh, are trying to convey. And I, I think that's what stops it going off the rails as like a just bizarre fun. Instead, I, I think that it, it's it's pretty good at showing the dynamics and the uh, tenuous connection um, that happens when, uh, like, you. I mean, it, it works whether you have like. A, a sort of standard nuclear family and all your different tensions with your siblings and your parents, but also amplified when um, you're in a situation where it's not unconditional love from the parent parental figures and they're treated in different and harsh ways. And I think that um, you can see uh, in the writing uh elements of ways writing from from back then uh, and the topics and themes and subject matter of uh, I guess especially that free chairs and black parade era um, you you do see that a lot in in the writing but I think what he and I have done effectively here is place a lot of these concepts and themes into different characters and as the comics go on the numbers become names and we we start to get a better idea of the different interrelationships and um and the things they face as well as the big uh like life-altering events that happens because uh, one of the the things that's part of the main story for this uh first uh run of books is that the world is going to end in a couple of days and there's a character one of one of the the seven kids who's uh who disappeared and basically they know that there's going to be some sort of apocalyptic event happening and the comic basically follows 
the group as they have to reconcile after not being together for so long um and also face these this new threat that is coming and and um yeah it's 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 good i i quite enjoyed it um i feel that in six issues i was worrying because i was thinking how are they going to get through so many things in six issues but i think they do manage it i think towards the end some of it it feels a bit rushed in terms of the intensity of the different events that are happening seem to uh, ramp up in a way that it maybe it would have been nicer to take a breath uh, or, or, uh, and and like luxuriate in some a bit better. But I think it's uh, quite effective in getting you to care about um, characters uh, that you you don't really get too much backstory on um, and effectively world building um this place because it uses a lot of generic names like the town the city the 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 academy and all that but it does have this sense of place and you do feel like it is like a world and not a backdrop Mm. um and yeah I i can see why it resonated so well i think that I think what it does really well is it handles different things such as like being fairly, really dark. It is really dark and it, it is, handles, it is. It yeah, loads of things such as the things like uh, mm. sins of the fathers, uh, manipulation, uh, like senses of duty bumping up against having no sense of self, uh, people like searching for self-worth and meaning, um, and just general like melancholy and like a really like harsh uh like skeletons in the closet family dynamic style. Um yeah. yeah. And um yeah, I'm not I'm not sure how uh how they adapt it into the T V show which I'll be checking out, but uh, I, I assume that they they will have to like change some things because um, not even just from like a brutality, but there's some things I don't think would work in a TV show that work really well on a comic. But, um... Yeah. Well, I I mean, obviously having I've re- I've watched the TV show, but I haven't really read the comics. I just know what I know tangentially and like from flicking through them and things and whatever else. But like <clears throat> from what I can tell, it's actually quite a good adaption. Um, and I honestly really enjoyed the show. Like I, I thought it was great. Um, there's some really cool moments in there. I, I can see like, I I mean, I I think what they've done is they've condensed Apocalypse Suite down. They've done that in a really, a really nice way. I mean, the events might not play out exactly as they do in the books, but they've done it in a way that makes sense. Uh, and I think it's really cool. And I I mean, my big takeaway from this was the fact that it is in the same way that Watchmen is a subversion of the Justice League. This is a subversion of the X-Men. Because, you know, the, the X-Men were just a bunch of kids born with mutant yeah. powers, taken in and trained by Charles Xavier. Who knows what kind of lasting damage he's done to them, you know? Yeah, and you do feel that a lot in there as a primary influence, whether conscious or unconscious. Um, there's a lot of parallels between them and like having number one be the leader of the team in, in a sort of cyclopsy role. 
Yeah. And um, like other characters sort of treated like freaks. Um, other characters who didn't um, do things the way um, Hargreaves wanted are sort of shunned and uh, they like go their own path and turn their back on the family type thing. Uh, it, you do get a lot of that feeling and dynamic and the X-Men dynamic works well as being like telling truths about actual like normal families through this uh, heightened and yeah. um, uh, like heightened situation. I think this then goes an extra step and brings it back with that as well. And there's a lot, there's a, a, a big feeling of the, uh, displacement and people changing. Like time is, is a very big element in, in the book at least. Um, and how things change, but some things don't in that yeah. very w- real way of like, yeah. If you don't see like family members or close friends for a long time, sometimes yeah. you'll still get back up, and, and then you're in a good situation. You'll you'll pick up from where you left off, and it's like no time has gone at all. Whereas yeah. in sort of more fraught situations, it ends up like awkward, like you don't know each other, even though like you're connected. Oh, oh, indeed, yeah, one hundred percent, and it's. I, I think it's a really great story, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and. Going back to the thing where I said that it shares an aesthetic with the Black Parade, well, that is because the illustrator for the album art for the Black Parade is a man called James Jean. And he also did covers for the Umbrella Academy. Yes, yes. (laughs) So he did the illustrations for the album art for the Black Parade. Obviously, it's going to share the same aesthetic because it's Jared Way. And it has this kind of like... um, the thing that the Umbrella Academy has for me as well, it seems to be drenched in this uh, this kind of like 19th century kind of like antiquity about it. Yeah, because yeah. It, it's, it's set during, um, it feels like it's set during mid-20th century, but it has a lot of those old trappings Yeah, um, for like good and bad, depending on like what you think they're like, trying to say because yeah. you have styles like um say the monocle so reginald hargreaves the sort of father figure he does um just the look of them um the type of sort of retro future inventions that he's come up with um yeah. like like uh there's a lot of that sort of feeling uh, that and a lot of uh, that british feeling to the degree where, like, on a, on a more negative side, but I think it's, I think it's there to talk more about the character. But who knows? Because it doesn't really say much. He does have like a personal assistant called uh, uh, Abhijat, who's uh, who's also like the pilot of his main ship. And at least for the Apocalypse Suite, uh, this character who is sort of dressed up um, in a similar in a similar way to how I, th- I think uh, it would have been uh, Sikhs uh, dressed uh, in close to the time of the Raj. He is sort of dressed in that style, and he, he looks like he's competent with like a weapon as well, but he doesn't really have any lines. And I think he's meant to be possibly in that, in that sort of butlery... Um, Butler come bodyguard type thing. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in the same way of like a mix between like a, a Wraith Bannon and an Alfred 
I guess yeah. modern Alfred, who used to be like a soldier, that that reading of Alfred. But because yeah. he doesn't really have much input in the beginning, it does feel a bit awkward at times. And my only hope is that in uh, the next run, uh, that he's given a bit more to do. Um, but uh, yeah, because otherwise it, it sort of feels awkward having a character like that. Like you wouldn't, I don't think you do that now. No, or you'd hope no. that that, yeah. that wouldn't be done now, but this was back in uh, 2007. Um, now, now but, we read is a little bit insensitive, I guess. Uh, yes, yeah. 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 Um, but, like, I think... Yeah, because what they do, they mix a lot of styles in there as well. So certain characters speak to different styles. So, like, some of the stuff to do with, like, space and the moon feels like of that 60s space race. Mm. Um, and I know that the um, the next run, the next volume, uh, Dallas, is meant to be focused on like that 60s era of JFK. So um, I'm I'm interested to see what they do with that. But um, yeah, it's um, is it a mix of those different styles uh, for different characters. Yeah. No, it. Yeah, it and. I, I I mean I do like this whole like kind of steampunk come Victoriana type thing that it has going on in places. I do quite like that, and I think it works well for the story that it's telling. And yeah, I mean all in all, I I feel like it's probably a very a, quite a good adaption, and um, I I I really want to read the comics now. Yeah, <laughs> I'd recommend I'd recommend it. I know the comics are very different as much as they are the same. But I really do want to read the comics, and I think that's going to be one. They are the next thing on my list, and I will get around to it. I wanted to have them read in time for this episode, but I don't think that was going to happen somehow. Yeah, I wanted to have the yeah. show watched as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess that's our homework. I'll watch the show, you read the comic. Yeah, and we can, we and, can swap notes again. <laughs> and talking of the comic, uh, I'll just say, uh, so it's Umbrella Academy Apocalypse Suite, which came out. 2007, uh, six parts, but you get it in a trade. It was um, it's a dark horse comic, story by Jared Way, art by G- uh, Gabriel Barr, colours by Dave Stewart, and lettering by Blambots Nate Piekos. And uh, if you want something that is a little bit Umbrella Academy, then check out the album The Black Parade, which I'm sure probably some of you are already very aware of. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, so, I was saying at the beginning, like I was a, a free chess, a sweet revenge person. I think I was not in the right headspace for Black Parade because no. I wasn't a fan of teenagers and blah yeah. blah blah. But you know what? I'm, I bet if I threw them up on Spotify now, they would be my jam. I bet if you went back to it now and viewed it through the lens of Umbrella Academy, you'd be on it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. because I think this comic, if he was never allowed, say they said that no, you're a music guy, you can't you can't make comics. If he released an album, there's so much elements in there that I could see him making a concept album based on those elements. Because a lot of the yeah. themes do cross over to what I've heard from Black Parade and definitely to what I've heard on Free Chess and Sweet Revenge. I'm just, I'm just looking at some of the artwork from the inside of the album cover now. And there's even, there's, there's um, like girls in band uniforms wearing domino masks. <laughs> and it's just like, come on, man. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, and I mean, I I will I will come out and I will say I kind of poo pooed this album when it came out originally. Um, I was a little more closed off where my music tastes were concerned 
I mean, I always preferred heavier music anyway, but I just, I don't know why I had this like negative view of um, My Chemical. I had this negative view of this album. There were tracks from Three Cheers of Sweet Friends that I would listen to and still listen to now. Like, I, I'm not a fan of the whole album. There's just particular tracks I like. Um, and I poo-pooed this album when it originally came out. But now, upon viewing the artwork again and everything else, and knowing like now knowing Umbrella Academy and things, I'm thinking maybe I should go back and check it out again. Might actually enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah. Tetris and emo music. They're back, yeah. baby. I'm... Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go eat some humble pie later. I think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for all the things that I've said against My Chemical Romance, I actually secretly quite like My Chemical Romance. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, so moving on from Umbrella Academy and Greg eating enormous slices of humble pie, uh, we're gonna go on to a second item of news that I had for you guys, which was. Um, some Ghostbusters news. Yes. So, what's happening is, uh, IEW are relaunching Transformers next month, which, or this month even, sorry, which I'm going to talk about. There's a new, tran- basically, there's going to be a new Transformers number one, and I'm going to talk about that when we get to the poll list. But what I wanted to bring up was the fact that um, this summer, um, June, I believe it is, we are getting a Transformers and Ghostbusters crossover comic by IDW, by my favourite Transformers, uh, Ghostbusters creative team, which is um, Dan Schooning, Luis Antonio Delgado, and Eric Burnham. So that's your Eric Burnham's the writer, Dan Schooning will be your artist, and uh, Luis will be your colourist. Uh, and uh, I am really really excited about this and looking forward to it because some of the promo art looks gorgeous the premise from what i can make out from what we can see in front of us sounds great and um yeah i'm just looking i mean this all comes off the back of as well um some news we've had on the toy front for transformers where they're doing a transformers um ghostbusters I mean, this is like to do with the fact that there's been 35 years of Ghostbusters as well. So Ghostbusters is 35 years old. And I believe Transformers might have started around the same time, uh, which would be 1984. Um, And we're getting a crossover toy called Ectotron, which is a Transformer that is also a Ghostbuster. That is Ecto-1. So it's Ecto-1 turns into a robot with a proton pack. I mean, how cool is that like 10 year old greg right just just like made a hole in the wall like literally just ran up the wall (laughs) and made a hole in the wall full tilt screaming at that news but yeah it's just it's just fantastic and uh obviously i'll be buying the toy if i can get my hands on one uh (laughs) and uh i'll be well into these comics and we've got some promo art ectotron makes an appearance in the comics um Starscream's Ghost, which uh if you are a fan of the Transformers cartoon, the original, uh you will know about Starscream's Ghost. You will know that Starscream has um he, he dies and he comes back as a ghost. Galvatron kills him in the animated movie and Starscream returns as a ghost later on in the series. Now we'll find out later on 
in the Beast Wars uh, series that Starscream's spark is indestructible. Um, it means it means he, he his spirit cannot be destroyed. He is something that will be eternal. And Starscream's ghost appears to be featured quite heavily in this. So I think Starscream's ghost has something to do with this as a primary villain. And uh, we have um, some promo art where you, the, you know the uh, the old Ghostbusters logo with the the red kind of like circle with the line through it. Well, we've got the ghost replaced with Starscream. Uh, so we've got we've got that at the moment for some promo art. Um, we've got um, a kind of panorama like battle thing going on, like. Uh, with a bit that's been redacted, it's got a big black block over it, and it says "Top Secret." I think that looks like it's going to be a bunch of joining covers. So I think there's going to be some covers um, by Dan Schooning uh, and Louise that will join up. Like when you link them together, they'll make one big long picture. And there's part of that missing, and it's blacked out. But we know what's going to be there. It's either going to be Starscream's ghost, or it's going to be Goza, because we've also got artwork depicting a um a transformerized version of goza for want of a better word a cybertronian goza with the two terror dogs either side of her um he her goza is whatever it wants to be um to paraphrase the movie um so uh it, there's some there's some letters some letters on this as well so it says but they had other things to worry about and uh, Gozer is there, and uh, Gozer is saying, "Cybertron, the Traveler has come." So I think uh, I think we have an idea of, of how this is going to work, and what's going to happen, and how this is going to play out. I think Gozer is going to be the big bad. I think we're going to get Cybertronian Gozer. I think Ectotron is going to play a huge role, and he's going to be on Earth with the Ghostbusters. I think we're also going to get Starscream's Ghost, and I think Starscream's Ghost might have something to do with the coming of Gozer on Cybertron. I don't know. Um, stop me uh, if I'm speaking gibberish now, Leon. <laughs> what? What's going on? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm dead excited about this, and I've been reading a bit of news around it, and uh, it's looking good. So yeah, this is this is one of uh, one of those things for me to look forward to. So I've got this Andusagi coming up in the summer. So I'm going to be on that. Christmas come early. Yeah, and this Ectotron toy is looking pretty sweet. Um, I mean, from what I can tell, it's going to be around 45 quid. That's not the worst. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how big it's going to be. Yeah. I'm not sure how big it's going to be, but I'm hoping it's going to be, um, uh, roughly the size of the, um, Ghostbusters Ecto-1 Lego kit that i've got because uh, that would be a decent size for it i think and um there's gonna be so if you've ever seen the ghostbusters uh, ecto-1 lego kit that you can get um is roughly the same if it's roughly the size of that lego kit i think we'll be happy people um and uh you get like a little slimer toy with it as well so in the spirit of the same way that the original ghostbusters toys the kenner ones in the um in the way back you used to come with uh, like a little translucent plastic ghost this comes with a little translucent plastic slimer which will be pretty cool um 
so yeah and that's that's all we know so far so <laughs> i am excited indeed and this, these promo images are 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 hot like these little these little bits of promo art we're seeing of the comic art i mean it's 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 dan shooning doing dan shooning i mean he <laughs> as far as i'm concerned when he draws ghostbusters he can't put a foot wrong like the love and the care you can tell that he's a major fan the love and the care and attention that goes into it and same goes for the other two on here like eric burnham when he writes um louise's colors like those guys as a team like you can tell they are fans of the franchise uh, and with what they are doing it 100 percent shows that they are fans of the franchise and i am 100 percent invested in them being able to work on transformers as well because i think they're going to do a majorly great job with it i really do i'm looking at this i'm i'm you know i'm already like the the way that the transformers are being depicted here in this artwork i'm already on top of that because they've gone for the original g1 designs uh and they've kept it very very close to what the g1s look like and what the toys look like mm. and i'm quite i'm quite you know i'm quite into that i'm quite enamored with that so yeah more of this please idw more of this i'm excited about this well, it's cool that we're, we're, when there's zone now where um, the um, just macro pandering is, is a bad word for it, but sort of targeting of nostalgia has now shifted from Gen X, who we got, we got the tail end of a lot of that stuff. I mean, yeah. this is a lot of 80s stuff still, um, but now it's sort of moved over to millennials almost fully. Mm. <laughs> uh, and especially, and then you get the, uh, the multiplied fact of that when it's stuff that millennials watch, which are technically Gen X stuff. <laughs> so uh, you get stuff like the, the Bumblebee movie and things like that. So yeah. it's cool to see. Mm. Let's let's play a game, actually. What do you think, uh, millennial-wise, is going to make a comeback um, from from like the nineties? I'm talking exclusively the nineties. What do you think will be making a comeback soon? Maybe it will get a comic, or uh, maybe it will make a comeback in animation. Um, what what can you see coming back? Because I've got a couple here that I'm thinking might we might see a return. We might see. Well, considering we've only got what uh, eleven or so years before uh, climate change slash global warming really hits the fan. Uh, <laughs> um, I can see Captain Planet on his way back. I think I, I wouldn't surprise me if it's being made right now. Yeah, I, I, I ditto with that. See, I was thinking <laughs> less along the lines of global catastrophe and more along the lines of Ren and Stimpy. But <laughs> well, well, Ren and Stimpy uh, was back in a more adult form on like adult swim or something a couple of years after it ended on nickelodeon but i could see that coming back see that's still over 10 years ago isn't it yeah yeah and but uh, but my, mine wasn't uh that it was going to be a um charitable thing it's still corporations yeah <laughs> they'd yeah, be like obviously. yeah people are worried about uh global warming at the moment and this whole talk of like uh, a green new deal you know I, what yeah Let, let's milk them <laughs> bring back captain planet exactly yeah um but i can you know i can fully see um 
like possibly something like Ren and Stimpy getting a comic. Like yeah, a very adult, very crass comedy comic kind of. Thing. I don't think that's uh, strange or off the realms of possibility at all. Exactly. Yeah, it's one of the things that I'd put money on. Actually, that and maybe maybe even things like Dexter's Lab. Actually, maybe Cartoon Network would publish a a cartoon like IDW could do like a Cartoon Network cavalcade thing, where it's like a um, an anthology with uh, cartoon cartoon stuff in it. <laughs> Um, do you think they'd be adult swimmed and be like more adult or do you think they would go for the tar- uh, go for like the well, they, sort of age they were, target they, they had were, they were already relatively cheeky yeah yeah but <laughs> yeah, I mean do you think yeah. because times have changed now so you can be a lot cheekier I think I think they might I think they might they might adult swim it a little bit mm. like try because it's a comic they might be able to get away with a little bit more because they've still been publishing stuff like that over. I guess there hasn't been one for a while, but yeah. they were still making comics of, of, for those cartoons for a while, weren't they? Yeah, I think so. But I, I mean, like, I'm thinking like I've not seen it on the stands for a long time. Mm. That's the kind of thing like I would love to see that on the stands, like a, a an, an anthology, a cartoon cartoon anthology book every month, and we get like a short Dexter strip in there. We get a short. Um, like Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends strip in there, um, like just something like that where you've just got like I don't know five stories per per book. You know what would be really cool if all those MTV things like the Max Aeon Flux, uh, the Head, and all that, uh, if they got uh, new runs because I think the Max actually was republished. I'm not sure if it got a new run, but if, if all those if all those things came back with like fresh runs that would be really cool well, the max has had a recent revival um where him and batman have had have crossed paths yeah i thought there was something like that because i knew yeah. the books had been re-released but and i'm sure i was sure that there was some sort of new content with that as well yeah but yeah if, if the rest of them came back that would um that'd be really cool yeah but yeah um speculation aside um I think, I mean, you know, as much as the world's ending and as much as the summer might be 40 degrees and, you know, the earth will be scorched and we'll lose 20% more wildlife or whatever, at least I'm going to get a Ghostbusters and uh, <laughs> yeah. Transformers yeah, yeah. <laughs> Read it on the Titanic as it sinks. I'll uh, I'll laminate it so I can read it when Britain's underwater, <laughs> when the ice breaks. <laughs> <laughs> When we're when when it's Waterworld and we're all Kevin Costner. Oh, what drinking our own pee? Yeah, <laughs> my raft. Will I can see that. Yeah, raft made of comics, just floating. <laughs> I'm surprised you wouldn't get a comic tattooed on your back. <laughs> a raft made of um, plastic uh, plastic milk cartons or something. Oh, I thought it was going to be the the boxes that you store your comics in, keep you afloat. No, they'll be on top of the raft. Yeah. <laughs> Got to keep those dry, man. You know? But yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that brings us to the end, aside from some news concerning everyone's favourite Japanese collectible tradable pocket monsters. Because we're getting some new Pokemon games. 
this the end of this year i think they've said haven't they they said late 2019 is the release date and they're going to be on the switch and this will be um this is gaming news but hold up because i'm going to make it comics i'm going to make it comics adjacent i am because this is uh the um pokemon sword and pokemon shield and uh me and leon have been knee deep in sword and shield memes (laughs) yes uh the internet has uh been set ablaze uh by by memes that rank because the, the location is sort of generically based on different elements of Britain it seems because yeah, yeah. Um, because uh, part of it has some like Londony looking bits there's been uh, there's been a few memes where um, everyone was talking Cockney but the majority of the memes are based on bad Scottish because the female trainer who is shown prominently in the train uh, in the trailer is wearing a sort of bonnet slash beret type cap that is, has, is very yeah. Scottish in appearance. And she's got the Aaron jumper on. Yes. And she's and looking s- particularly, she's got some particularly stereotypically Scottish attire on basically. Yes. And so <clears throat> the, I'd say 90% of the memes have been like, bad scott the memes have been so much like bad uh scottish memes is that scottish people have had to get involved and reclaim the meme for themselves and i know this is actual scottish and it's been really great like they've all been really good you could just imagine them like scottish people sighing at it to the point where <laughs> they're just like nope no we've got to get in front of this yeah we've got to do something about this the only way to fix this is to actually wade in and start fixing it and that's, well, that's when they, they recently had to sit through all those bad uh merida ones for wreck it ralph too and, yeah, and, and yeah. they've just had enough they're like nope we're claiming this this is yeah. our meme so it's been really good and all of them the ones the ones based on like scotland and the one based on like england have been been really good yeah especially when americans are making poor attempts at joining in yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry americans but there's just there's uh, just you know certain things of the British vernacular and the, that you just haven't quite got yet. <laughs> yeah, we love to get dragged by Yanks. Yes, we do. <laughs> it's our favourite hobby over here in good old Blighty, a eh, governor. No, yeah, um... <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, like apart from that, this is looking really great. It's uh, it's something that I've actually wanted for a long time because I remember thinking about other Pokemon regions and thinking, wouldn't it be cool if they based one on the United Kingdom? And like, because although we all make fun of Britain, living in Britain, you know, we're, we're in the midst of some kind of political apocalypse where no one can agree on how to run the country. And at the same time, you know, like it's just chaos and we're, we're, we're getting nosedived into it. It just, it just feels like we have a kamikaze pilot for a, for a prime minister right now. And it's just terrible, but I mean, like as bad as as Britain can be when you when we when we see the news here in Britain, when we see all the doom and gloom. I, I think Britain has a lot of great things to offer. There's a lot of history there. There's a lot of a lot of really cool things about Britain. Um, a lot of really unique things about Britain, and I think this game is going to pick up on some of that and showcase it in a really cool way. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to. And when I'm thinking about like different Pokemon regions and stuff and I'm thinking about the way they do different Pokemon regions I'm thinking you know like the way they did France when they did Kalos region I'm thinking I'm looking forward to seeing Mm. a 
how they deal with Britain in this. And I think it's going to be quite nice. And that's the thing. For someone like me who's been out the game, who had uh, yellow, uh, silver, and uh, what was it? Ruby? No, Sapphire. I've been out of the game since Sapphire. <laughs> so, uh, But this is this is the Pokemon game I've wanted since I was young because what it is, and this is because of the Switch, it's a Pokemon game I can play on my TV and also play uh, portable on handheld. Yes. It's the it's the Holy Grail, the unicorn, yeah. the um, the fully realized 3D Pokemon game on a home console, and it looks gorgeous. Yeah, it does, and uh, it's uh, yeah. I mean, everything about it looks pretty cool. I mean, I'm I'm hype about all three starters for once. Like, there's usually like when I look at the designs for the starter Pokemon, which is the Pokemon you're given at the beginning of your adventure. I, there's usually like one that stands out, and the other two I can be, you know, fairly calm about leaving behind. I don't, I don't care, you know. Uh, I mean, this time I, I, I have a favourite still. I mean, I still like Score Bunny because Score Bunny just, well, looks, yeah, he just looks ultra scrappy. I mean, look at him with his plasters over his nose and everything, and he, he just looks like a, an ultra scrappy tough little cookie. And he's the guy and, I want with me on an adventure. But I mean, the other who two... doesn't love a fire starter? Exactly. Yes. Um, I mean, the big worry in the Pokemon community at the moment is that he's going to be another firefighting starter because we've had plenty of those. Uh, we've had um, Torchic, I think, ended up as a firefighting, like with Blaziken. Um, oh, yeah, Blaziken, yeah. And uh, you had Tepig that ended up firefighting and you had, um, yeah, there's been a few of them. Infernape, I think, was one from, uh, I think that was Sinnoh region. Uh, let me just check that because my Pokemon knowledge is like really, really, really smoky at the moment. So, yeah, Infernape, if I, yeah, Chimchar is the starter. It goes Chimchar, Monferno, Infernape. And he's the, I think he was the Sinnoh starter. Um, and then you had um, Torchic, who was your... Um, yeah, Torchic into Blaziken. I think that was Hoenn, which was uh, Pokemon uh, Ruby Sapphire. And yeah, it's just um, another. Uh, basically, like they're like too many firefighting types. So he's either got to be straight fire or he's got to be fire something else. Because if he if he's I mean like if he's going to be firefighting again, a lot of people will be disappointed. I mean, it won't bother me too much, but I'm thinking you know for the sake of um originality it might be nice you know let's get a fire psychic we've had that not as a starter yeah fennekin. who was that fennekin god there's too much pokemon <laughs> fennekin fennekin wound up as a firefighter a fire psychic type uh which was, okay fire was water then it surely isn't one of those well, people are thinking that they might like Fire Fairy because of the interesting type resistances and things like that because of steel types and such, but we'll see. God, that, this is like yeah, way beyond that <laughs> after I left. To tie, this, to, to and tie all this back to comics, to, because we're a comics podcast, right? So to tie this back to comics in uh, in preparation for this, in the lead up, I, my, obviously this has reignited the Pokemon fires inside me, the cogs are turning, and... Uh, 
I went and um, started diving back into the uh, Pokemon Adventures comics, which are like the original black and white ones, published in 1997. Um, trans and they were translated by Viz and brought over here. These are like the like the manga, um, Pokemon manga, and um, these were in Japan. They're known as Pocket Monster Special. Um, they're pretty cool. There's a lot of them, and uh. They kind of follow the games in the way that the main characters or the main protagonist, antagonist or whatever are named after, are named the way that they are in the game. So red, blue, green, yellow, etc. Um, are characters in this silver, gold. That's the names of the characters. And uh, the man behind Pokemon, uh, Satoshi Tajiri, has gone on record to say that Pocket Monsters Special is the closest to what he imagined the Pokemon world to be. So this is the man that was the CEO of Game Freak. Possibly still is the CEO of Game Freak. I don't know about that. Do you? I don't know, Leon, do you? Uh, no, this is a Greg thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's, um, he's the guy. He's gone on record and said, this is like, you know, like the closest, this is the closest thing to, to realising what I, you know, when I made these games, what I imagined the Pokemon world to be. So it's a, it's it's kind of like a cool place to go and a cool thing to read. And alongside maybe replaying a couple of the games, which I might do, I'm going to be reading this um, and embarking on that journey once more. Because I have read these before in the past, but I'm going to go back to them and check them out again because I, I think they're really cool comics and they're really cool Pokemon comics. And it's a bit different. I mean, everyone knows about Ash Ketchum. Everyone knows about, you know, his triumphs and tribulations throughout the Indigo League and Johto and all these other adventures that Ash has been on and never aged. Um, but like, because I'm sure he's still 10, but this is just basically just like a different way of looking at it and a different avenue. And I think it's pretty cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm down with these comics and I think I'm going to maybe in time for the next show, I will have read more and be able to talk about them a little bit better than I am now. But yeah, these, these are my jam right now. And that's how, I tie Pokemon to comics. <laughs> <laughs> Just so I could shoehorn in my love for the game. Yeah, uh, and I think that brings us to the end of the show. Well, not yet. Uh, I did want to speak briefly about two things. Oh, I can't believe I almost forgot this. I know what this is going to be, but carry on. Uh, one is that... Um, so I, I, I haven't been on uh, like the last episode... Uh, which is kind of serendipitous because now Life is Strange has finished. Um, Again, the recent last um, issue came out, of a four-part series came out uh, last Wednesday, I believe. Uh, And I just wanted to add to the things I'd said on previous episodes about uh, the first issue. And I think it does wrap up in a really, uh, really cool way. So this is the... Uh, the Titan Comics book, um, which is based on the Square Enix uh, published game from a couple of years back about Max and Chloe, two friends who from like the Seattle area. And Max in the game has uh, an ability where she can reverse time and... Um, yeah, and like uh, <laughs> to say hijinks uh, into you is, is 
kind of <laughs> reductive. But yes, hijinks ensue. Anyway, uh, the book being set like a year after the the ending and events of the um, of the game, um, I was wondering how they would sort of tie things up and wrap them up. And I think that they do. Um, I, I think what what they're able to achieve is giving you a bittersweet send-off, which is at t- at both a happy and a sad ending. And I, 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 I think they're able to walk that line really well. And I was, um, I was satisfied. And it, I was satisfied with the whole journey these four issues have, have taken. And it does, every time I'm reading it, it does make me want to go back and um, play the play the game again. Um, so yeah, it's good for that effect. But I, I think that um, they do a good job of wrapping stuff up. And anyone who was sort of on the fence before, and but like this idea of it and was going away, I'd say now's a great time because all four issues are out uh, done. You can just there'll probably be a trade at some point, or you can just jump on to something like Comicsology, which is how I um, read them. Um, so yeah, that's a thumbs up for me. I think that. Uh, is this uh, sense of like not belonging and this sort of detachment from from life? Um, and I think a lot of the themes work well with the sci-fi slash supernatural um, concept. Uh, and that is Life is Strange, uh, Titan Comics, written by Emma Vicelli, uh, artwork by Claudia Leonardi, colors by Andrea Izzo, and lettering by. Richard Starkins and comic craft Jimmy Bettencourt. Yeah, um, I need to play Life is Strange first, then I can start reading it. <laughs> uh, I highly recommend it. It's, um, it's just, I uh, think it was a good take on that type of uh, new age adventure game. Mm. I, I need to check that out because I mean, you guys make it sound so good. Like the way you and Ray talk about it, you make it sound so good. So it's something that I want to. I want to check out and, and when I've got time, I will sit down and play through the games because I, I really want to. Um, by the way, uh, just to go back to the previous item, um, Satoshi Tajiri is still the CEO of Game Freak. And according to, well, looking at this, he still very much gets involved with the production of Pokemon games. He's the executive producer on every Pokemon game since Fire Red and Leaf Green, where he was scenario writer and executive director. And then mm. on the other games, he was like, more involved than that but yeah so yeah uh he's still your guy um the last thing on the the last item that you were going to bring up leon um, yes um well yeah the last thing i wanted to bring up and this sort of works as news as well is uh obviously we've, we've done an episode in the past on uh, spider-man into the spider-verse so if you've not listened to it go back and check that out and if you've not seen the movie Definitely check that out. I think it's on iTunes and, and Video On Demand and it's out on Blu-ray next month or later this month. But um, yeah, but obviously we're big, big fans of that film here and it sort of completed its journey last Sunday where it won the Academy Award for uh, Best Animated Feature. It got a gold Which, naked man. Yes, it got a gold naked man to go with other, all the other gold that's been picking up. And um, it's, it's been pretty cool because uh, in the preceding weeks it's... Won the uh, the Golden Globes, won the BAFTA, 
um, won the Annie, which is uh, always for me a, a good sign because it's like the peers in animation. Um, and it, it, it was nice because as much as I enjoyed some of the other movies that were nominated, I was worrying that the sort of Disney Pixar uh, machine would swallow this movie, which has done like a fraction of the box office as some of these other movies have done. But the movie seems to have resonated with audiences uh, who have seen it and and uh, the peers and critics alike. So it's nice to see it get its due on the, the biggest stage and sort of join that uh, pantheon. And for me, it's really nice to see... Um, the uh, like the one of the directors, so it's got three uh, co-directors, and one of the directors, um, Peter Ramsey, is the first uh, black person to ever have won a best uh, animated um, feature. So it's it's really ni- nice for me um, to see to see that, um, and I'm really interested to see what all three, what uh, uh, Parashetti and what uh, Rothman do. Uh, as well as Ramsey in the future, um, I, I expect um, lots of uh, interesting projects from, from from these guys, and I expect that from the industry as a whole, following this movie and what it's um, what it's managed to do. Mm. So I just wanted to pop that in there and have a little yay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm impressed and happy that it won that. I like that. I mean, I don't know one person that's been to see that film and has come out with a negative impression of it. Yeah, same. Yeah, so, yeah, big up Spider-Verse. Well done, Spider-Verse. And that finally brings us to the end of the show. Uh, So what I'm going to do now is just run through the pull list very quickly. Uh, It's only my pull list. And um, Leon, you got any items there, Leon? No, my poor list is in the past because I'm currently going through and trying to trying to finish up a lot of the comics that uh, I've started, and I've been doing a good job of it actually. So you expect me to speak about old stuff next yeah. next episode? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to be doing that as well because I'm going to be diving back into some other things. But there's a few things here that um, <clears throat> I may bring in to talk about. So. Um, Notably, we've got a comic that's coming out um, this week, 3rd of the 6th, so when, uh, 6th of the 3rd even. So when this uh, this podcast is available, you'll be able to find this comic on shelves. And this podcast, uh, this, uh, this comic is called Astro Hustle number one. So it's Astro Hustle. And uh, <clears throat> this will be Astro Hustle number one. So the blurb for this one, uh, Chen Andalou the black sheep of a prominent activist family, returns after being accidentally put in cryostasis for 60 years. Chen is a cosmic criminal, wakes up to find his brother-in-law is now the president of the galaxy. Chen does what he knows best. He steals stuff and causes a problem. And looking at the cover, it's got kind of this 70s sci-fi aesthetic going on, space piratey thing. Um, Very in the Flash Gordon Star Wars that kind of era as far as costumes and aesthetic goes looking at the cover Hmm. um so i'm quite interested in that um i think that's going to be quite fun um and we have uh, the creators of this we've got uh giants um or janets uh ursula decay 
uh, Greg Smallwood, Tom Riley, and Chris Crank. So, uh, Giants is the writer, Ursula Decay, Inca. Greg Smallwood has done variant cover for it. Uh, Greg Smallwood um, worked on the um, Vampironica comics. Uh, Tom Riley is the pencil and cover artist, and Chris Crank is a colorist. Um, on from there, the same week we've got Blossoms Triple Six Number Two. We've done a show. We've talked about Blossoms Triple Six on another show. So if you want to hear about Murder Teen Redhead Murder Teens, go check out the previous episode where we talk about it. Um, I think it's probably like three episodes ago now, maybe. Um, we've got, or possibly just the two. Uh, we've got Cosmic Ghost Rider destroys Marvel history number one, which uh, I can hear Leon seething at that already, just from the title. I didn't realise I actually left my camera on. <laughs> so, Cosmic Ghost Rider is stuck in the past, so he might as well have some fun with the origins of the Marvel universe, right? After going back in time and trying to kill Thanos as a baby, Frank Castle has sworn off trying to alter history. But when he arrives in Earth's past at the birth of the Fantastic Four, how can he resist jumping in on the fun? Uh, And we have writer Paul Shear, artist Todd Nook. We've got um, other writers, Nick Giovanetti, Nathan Stockman is an artist on this. Uh, Gerardo Zafino is a cover artist. Um... And we've got variant covers by Rob Liefeld. <laughs> yes, there is a Rob Liefeld cover. Um, no judgment. No judgment. I'm trying to find which one the Rob Liefeld cover is. Um, if I find it, then I might actually buy the Rob Liefeld one just because. But yeah. Uh, there we go. Cosmic Ghost Rider. More of it. We've talked about uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider on this show previously. You'll be able to find it. And I made a Cosmic Ghost Rider playlist on Spotify, which you'll also be able to find as well through our website. Uh, the playlist is literally called Cosmic Ghost Rider, if you want to try and find it on uh, Spotify. But yeah. Um, and the last one for 6th of March is called Morning in America. And that one, um, that's got this kind of like, um, like, I know this like uh, early 90s, late 80s monster movie, B-movie aesthetic thing going on when I look at the cover. It looks kind of cool. I quite like it. It's got um, a cool title. I like the yeah. title. Yeah, yeah. Um, the year is 1983. A series of disappearances afflicts Tucker, Ohio, following the opening of Mysterious New Factory. But when the town finds itself under siege from strange monsters, it's up to intrepid girl gang of no-account teen delinquents to try and figure out what's happening and save everyone's lives before it's too late. So, I'm kind of on board with that. That one's uh, Only Press. So, okay. yeah, that one's going to be published by Only Press. Um, I should have mentioned that um, Cosmic Ghost Rider is quite obviously Marvel. Blossom's Triple Six is Archie. And Astro Hustle is going to be published by Dark Horse Comics, I should have mentioned, actually. That's the one I missed. Um, so Morning in America, uh, we've got the writer is Magdalene Visaggio, um, we've got a artist and cover artist, uh, Claudia Aguirre, um, or Aguirre, uh, and we've got Elizabeth Beals is the variant cover artist, so, um, I'm very much looking yeah. forward to that one. 
Yeah, it's just been sounding better the more you've said about it. So yeah, I'll be checking that out. Yeah, hey, it does sound God, like a Leon. Book. Damn it! <laughs> I'm trying, <laughs> trying to catch up with other comments. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm probably going to ask them to put that on my pull list. Actually, I'm probably not going to chan- chance one of those being left on the shelf because it looks like the kind of thing like just on the cover alone, people might pick it up because it looks it looks rad as hell. Mm. Rad as hell. I mean, we've got like some skeleton uh, woman with uh, blonde hair tilting down her sunglasses with the reflection of what I. I guess is this uh, this delinquent girl gang reflected in the glasses, and she's got like these like eyes glowing from behind the glasses. And then, Morning in America is in this very kind of like eighties B movie font, like bright colors, and yeah, it just you know, it looks. I I I I know if I've more early nineties, late eighty than late eighties, maybe I don't know, but it just looks that kind the kind of thing. That you've probably seen on a VHS cover when you've been to the video shop when you were mm. a kid, like in the movies that your parents would never ever in a million years let you rent. Uh, <laughs> but there we go, yeah. Um, so moving on to the following week, uh, we've got um, this is third uh, thirteenth to round off our trio of Conan comics for these uh, this return of Conan to the pages of Marvel. Um, we've got um, Conan Age of Bailit number one which i talked about a little bit on the previous show so you can go back and listen to that um if you want to hear us uh, bang on about conan it's on there and it's on a uh, show is it the show previous to that i talked about a conan comic maybe the show before that but um yeah there's some there's some previous conan talk if you want to go through and catch up on that um we've got buffy the vampire slayer number three teenage mutant ninja turtles shredder in hell number two which is something else we've talked about previously and idw's transformers number one which i mentioned at the beginning of the show um but um what i want to do is just uh, read the blurb out and um give you kind of a an air about what's going on so a new era dawns in the infinite universe there exists a planet like no other cybertron home to the transformers and a thriving hub of interstellar commerce it is a world brimming with organic and constructed diversity immense structures line its landscape mechanical giants roam across its surface starship sized titans orbit its skies keeping a constant protective watch above and below. Ancient Transformers merge into its very fabric. Small mysterious creatures skulk in its shadows, and it's truly, it is truly an amazing, it is a truly amazing realm. Long untouched by war and exuberantly reaching for the stars, this is the Cybertron, the Optimus Prime and Megatron vie for in this bold new origin, um, bold new origin, a world of seemingly endless peace. Uh, all that changes when Bumblebee and Windblade take a newly forged Cybertronian on his first voyage through this world of wonders. They are confronted by the hard reality of the first murder to have occurred on Cybertron in living memory. Um, oh wait, I'm getting mixed up and I'm getting a line ahead of myself there. So in a world of seemingly endless peace and then it goes... All that changes when Bumblebee and Windblade take a newly forged Cybertronian on his first voyage through this world of wonders and are confronted by the hard reality of the first murder to occur on Cybertron in living memory. And then we get... Oh. It repeats itself on this website. So where I'm reading this from, the blurb actually repeats itself. So it's not me. I'm not going crazy. The internet's <laughs> going crazy. But yeah, <laughs> there we go. Uh, and uh, it just sounds pretty cool so it's like a whole this is like I think this is IDW like starting Transformers afresh 
because they've had a long history publishing Transformers comics. Um, they've told a story, a great story. We had the last issue, the final issue of Lost Light. And I think this is a fresh beginning, a fresh beginning for Transformers. And uh, it looks quite nice. The designs are pretty G1-centric, which I can always get behind. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I will probably check this out. Uh, we have uh, Brian Ruckley as a writer, Gabriel Rodriguez cover artist, uh, Angel Hernandez is the artist and variant cover artist, uh, Casey Collar is a variant cover artist, uh, Freddie Williams is a variant cover artist, and John Gallagher also does a variant cover after this. So, um, yeah, something to look forward to. And uh, that is the end of the pull list, and that brings us to the end of the show. So... You can find, we're, this has been Ace Comicals episode number 57. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything we do. Um, you can find us to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn and Castro. We are on Instagram under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. Um, you can ask us questions, send us your silly scenarios, your stupid questions, anything, anything, you know, mildly entertaining, anything that you think that we should argue about or debate or try to answer on here, just go for it. Um, and we will try to answer on the show or get involved with the conversation. Like anything, if you, I mean, if you listen to the show and, uh, you, you know, you want to, you want to give us your opinion on something we've talked about, just at us on Twitter or something and just get involved and just tell us what you think. Um, you can also send emails to us at acecomicals at gmail.com and you can find me on Twitter at Bato, that's B-A-T-T-O-U. And Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at Leon Everett. Okay, so that has been Ace Comicals number 57. So that is Ace Comicals over and out.